Welcome to the very first episode of a new series on the It's Mimic channel, where I, Megan, sit down with a couple of the amazing ladies to dig up the dirt on the undead in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. For this episode, I have resurrected Pepperina, as well as Casey, so we can sink our teeth into this episode called Liches Be Crazy. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I read that. I was like, thanks, Adam, for that thanks, being the Adam. first episode. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, this episode on the It's a Mimic channel is bursting at the seams with lore and special mechanical details about some of the most horrifying and powerful undead out there, liches. So hide your phylactery and settle in as we summon forth details, opinions, and inspirations about these undead horrors. But before we rip into the meat of this episode, let me ask you ladies actually two questions oh shit <laughs> first um have either of you actually encountered a lich in a campaign as a player yeah absolutely yeah. okay part two of that question <laughs> yeah okay how did it go my guess is poorly did you survive <laughs> uh survive yes uh did i survive yes did other team members of my, my party survive no <laughs> But no, it, go, it always goes terribly because it's like always, especially I think one of the first DD campaigns I ever played in had a lich in it. And I didn't know what a lich was. It was like, and it, but it was this, this, this twat waffle that kept appearing coming out of nowhere all the time. And it was so fucking annoying. And it took us a while to figure out what it was. And we did have a bunch of folks die to them and we could not get rid of them. It was like that big bad evil guy. You could not like just flick off your shoulder. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. 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 Nice. Peps, what about you? Ours was, so we have like three different home groups that all exist in the same world. Um, And we've had a couple DMs that go in and out. So it was the switching from one DM to the other. It was mid-game. And we had to find, I think it was Vecna's eye at, mm. and, and one of the groups. Mm. And then we ended up in Barovia and Vecna was like buddy, buddy with Strahd. And one of our group members had put the eye in his head. Of course. Because yeah, his course, eye yeah. had come out in battle. Um, and he offered himself to Vecna. And the rest of the party had no clue what was going on, but it was the switch of of dms so his character was being sacrificed and then he went and sat at the dm table whoa character but like as our characters like this is our friend who we've been adventuring with and he's just like yes i will give myself to you here is the thing and we're like what do we do we can't take on vecna and strad do we just leave him do we leave our friend do we run away sure <laughs> like, Oh my god. So it was a very um emotional, like we didn't know what to do. <laughs> I love it. Like Vecna and Strad at the same time. Like, what do you couldn't even imagine? Yeah. But like yeah. I don't I don't want to take Casey's thunder because I feel like you're gonna talk about it. But I know on this podcast we've talked about Cora and Acra, uh yeah. our our characters in Adam, Adam's like main campaign from years ago. But it was literally the paladin of light, which was my character, Cora, and mm-hmm. then the fucking black dragonborn of fucking necromancy yeah like necromancer like and like so we were the opposites but we were best friends Mm -hmm. and like in the end she succumbed to lichdom and my characters like became a dark knight at the end like it was just but it was like a very dramatic role of 
Yeah. I didn't know how long my character was going to let her like continue this path down darkness. Like it was this Mm -hmm. constant battle between her and I as friends being like, I don't really like what you're doing, but like, I can kind of ignore it because I love you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And Akira was like seeing Cora get darker and angrier. And she's like, yeah. Yeah. yeah." (laughs) (laughs) Like just welcome it in. I'm always that chaotic one that's trying to get everybody else on the chaos side. (laughs) That's like, no, no, we're not gonna pray to Lathander. Let's go over here. No, I always tend to play characters of light and like good, but they're yeah. assholes. Like, yeah. but not like not like not like you know like positively stupid, but just along the mm-hmm. lines of just like they're kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Uh, did you have a different story, Casey? That you wanted to tell? Yeah, that was it. It was like all around the the evolution of Acra and the dynamic that she played with the group. It was like, we love you, but we're terrified. We're terrified. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's like that was a PC that was a terrifying character mm-hmm. that we knew would eventually one day succumb to lichdom because that was her goal in life. And now we're yeah. playing in a campaign where that lich exists. Yeah. So it's pretty cool <laughs> that that transition occurred, right? So I like it. Yes. And I think that is what like, well, got me excited about doing this whole series with all the ladies of its mimic mm-hmm. um, and just gets me excited about today's episode um, because <laughs> it's going to be a theme through the whole thing. But like I lit just get me going. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh. So, laughs> I don't know. Do I feel like, what? why do liches get your heart racing? Why were you like, yes, this is awesome. Oh, my God. All right, well, I think we're going to get into it today. It begins, ladies. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. All right, so liches don't just, like, happen. Um, they are great wizards who seek power even after death. These wizards become obsessed with gaining as much power as possible. They don't really care much about the happenings in the world unless it directly affects them or their goals. So you're not going to find them like interfering in wars and things like that. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Um, Having surpassed death, they can scheme up their insane plans that can take up to centuries to complete because they have all the time in the world. Yeah. Um, they are thin and mostly skeletal, with what's left of their skin stretched tight against their bones. They have what looks like burning lights in their eyes or in their like blackened out eye sockets, um, where you can see that eyes used to be. You can tell that their robes and jewelry used to be very fine, but have decayed with time as they have. Now, the secret to becoming a lich isn't something that's like taught in wizarding school. It's an extremely guarded secret that often takes making deals with the most evil of fiends and gods to learn. Orcus was mentioned specifically as one you might seek out for this knowledge. There's a big ritual that needs to happen, um, which separates the wizard's soul from their body and places it in a vessel called a phylactery. This vessel is typically something like an amulet or an ornate box, uh, but it can literally be anything. Once the phylactery is paired with various symbols, the wizard drinks a powerful potion that kills them, and then they rise from the dead as a lich. The process doesn't really stop there. They have to occasionally feed the phylactery souls 
to maintain its power. I didn't really see anything that said how often they have to do that. It just said that they occasionally had to. Um, it can hold one creature at a time, and the soul is destroyed completely after 24 hours. If the lich fails to do so, their body will start to fall apart and eventually turn into a demi-lich. If the lich does die while the phylactery is still safe, a new body will appear in 1d10 days next to it. Destroying the phylactery is the only way to destroy the lich entirely. Because of this, the lich will hide it in an extremely safe and hard-to-get-to place. Do you think that they like looking ratchet and that's like, like it's a vibe? <laughs> it's you a know? vibe they're, for them. Yeah. They're like, they're like, yeah, I want to be a lich because I love that look. You I, know? Love it. <laughs> I love I needed to lose a few pounds, so I'm going to be a lich so lich I can just be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the best diet out there. You just had to eat souls. <laughs> a diet of souls and the a diet and of regrets. Souls. <laughs> <laughs> I have life to look whatever I want to look like. Who gives a shit, mm-hmm. man? Yeah. I'm a mortal. <laughs> yeah. They rock those like burning, glowing eyes, though, I bet. Yes. And yeah. like you were talking about, Megan, if you have no idea what a lich is as a player and stroll in or encounter one and don't know what you're up against, it's probably one of the most terrifying experiences that you'll find like it's just it it would be very scary (laughs) it would be and like and to be fair like the lich that we ran into didn't look um decrepit and like you know like skeletal Mm -hmm. yet because they were a a new lich right like Mm -hmm. they were like and our dm played it that way that they were a new lich that just came into lichdom so they didn't really have the decay and the body like like having hadn't decayed yet it was just kind of like they're now a lich they died and they did have a scar from their death but they but it had healed itself and like they hadn't quite you know gone through that phase of like not having enough souls and like draining its own like body and skin like so like Mm -hmm. we didn't know what it was because it didn't look like a lich at the time but then each time we saw them it got more and more gross and disgusting and like hollow and like they their voice would change and like that kind of stuff like so i feel like it's one of those things over time especially if you can have a literary campaign from for a long period of time that's definitely something you can play with but Mm -hmm. i like it if we take a closer look at their stats they are a cr 21 so they you aren't likely to fight these like unless you're very high level a 21 is pretty pretty high up their cr um they have a very high intelligence with a plus five modifier to that and their lowest stat is strength which still has a plus zero so they don't have anything with a negative modifier yeah they're immune to pretty much any physical damage unless it's with a magical weapon and also have, I think, like six different condition immunities. So they're not going to be very easy to damage. They have true sight of 120 feet. So there's not really any sneaking up on them either. Nope. They're going to see you coming. Um, for actions, they have a paralyzing touch, which does 3d6 damage. And if you don't succeed on a constitution save, you are paralyzed for one minute. They do get legendary actions, which they can cast one of their cantrips. They can do the paralyzing touch. They have a frightening gaze, which can frighten you for one minute if you fail a wisdom save. And they have disrupt life, which makes each living creature within 20 feet make a constitution save or take 66 necrotic damage or half as much on a save. Damaging. Yeah. So they do have spells up to ninth level there. 
very big spellcasters. Um, I will just real quickly read the list of them. Um, for cantrips, they get Mage Hand, Prestidigitation, and Ray of Frost. And then for spells, they get Detect Magic, Magic Missile, Shield, Thunder Wave, Detect Thoughts, Invisibility, Acid Arrow, Mirror Image, Animate Dead, Counterspell, Dispel Magic, Fireball, Blight, Dimension Door, Cloud Kill, Scrying, Disintegrate, Lobe of Invulnerability, Finger of Death, Plane Shift, Dominate Monster, Power Word Stun, and Power Word Kill. I love that they have Prestidigitation. (laughs) I know. Like, like I, we only ever use that as players to, like, make things clean. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, that's, that's the only thing we ever use it for. So, like, why? I don't even know what else it does. <laughs> I always have to look at it, like, what does that do again? Because yeah, we just it, make it to make things clean. 100%. It just, just makes things clean is yeah. all that it really does. It's like, it oh, I fell in a puddle? No problem. <laughs> and maybe I think you can use it to, like, you know, flutter curtains or like open windows right so maybe when it needs to make a grand entrance it's like oh man it it creates its own wind you know to get its like robes flapping in the wind and shit Mm -hmm. it uses its mage hand to open the door so it doesn't have to (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like it it's all about style I love the fact that, like, in my mind, I'm like, these would be bad evil guys. They probably wouldn't care to do that kind of shit. But if you have lived as long as you have had and you have, like, a persona and or, like, you know, like a a facade that you have going on with the world, it's kind of like, nah, I got to upkeep this. What's this week's entrance? I'm thinking, like, WWE type shit. Like, like, like They're coming into a theme song. Yeah. Total theme. Definitely a theme song. I love it. All right, so that's what I've got on the base lich. Amazing. Well, how about we roll some dice and I'll ask you ladies some questions. Okay. So players at home, they do have layer actions also. Like They're it's... like your basic, you know, raise the dead, do a thing, scare people. <laughs> you basic. <laughs> <laughs> They're what you would expect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, hold on. I need to find my dice. I'm like, I'm unprepared. Where is my dice? Thankfully, my bag of dice was, was within arm's reach because I forgot <laughs> to. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, I got it. Ready? Roll. Roll. Four. I got an 11. 19. Casey. Okay, so you're first. All right, so talking about just liches as they are, um, nothing special, nothing too fancy. What's a good quest idea that you have for for a lich in a campaign? Okay, so I think, okay, you have to be very high level to even begin to... Think about fighting one, yeah. Yes, so I think... It would be fun to introduce this at a lower level where you don't quite encounter the lich, but you find the lich's lair and then maybe realize you are way out of your depth. Mm-hmm. So it could be something like um, you need to enter a forbidden forest and in the forest you encounter a tomb entrance and then you go labyrinth or dungeon diving and you f- you make it all the way there, but then you find out that there's maybe something blocking your way that you need to do more research on or there's a second big bad evil guy that you have to encounter first and you actually think that that's it and you're like oh we've made it here but that's not that's like the tip of the iceberg on what you actually have to do and so I like teasing it I guess and then you have to do some retcon as players and then come back 
better equipped to actually do battle or actually encounter and and go toe-to-toe with the lich. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, lots of players don't make it high enough level to actually (laughs) properly encounter this. So I think you got to kind of spin it so that you can bring it in at a lower level. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the fact that like a lot of like the liches you're going to use in your worlds, you're not going to fight them right away. Um, And if you do, you're stupid. So a good, like a good quest idea, like to, to utilize it would again, to be introduced at a lower level, or I love playing with phylacteries and the fact that maybe the ancestral sword or ancestral amulet that you have is actually the phylactery of an old, old lich who doesn't really care that you have it because it knows it's not going to get destroyed because it's just (laughs) following you around or going around with you. You know what I mean? But like yeah. it maybe you're being followed by its like lackeys or its cult or like oh. your best friend is actually its lieutenant. And it's actually like and it's only, they're only friends with you because they're trying to make sure that the phylactery that you are carrying does not get damaged. Nice. And so like I would love I love the image of you in battle and like your best friend has been defending you your entire life. And then suddenly in a battle when you are about to die or about to get hit, they defend the amulet before they defend you for some fucked up reason. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Love you it. find out that it's actually the phylactery of a lich. And then it becomes the group's goal to find this lich and yeah. X, Y, Z, right? So I like phylacteries are an easy way to plant mm-hmm. a lich into your campaign. I yeah. think that also works with the having to feed it souls because you don't know that you're feeding it souls. Yeah. With everything every you kill. thing that yeah. you kill is feeding it for the lich. So like you're doing all the legwork. Yeah. Totally. Wouldn't that be like a neat thing? The fact that like you could make, like, I don't know, like the, the rules is written of how many phylacteries a lich can make, but of course there are mm-hmm. famous ones that have more than one phylactery. Yeah. So um, Voldemort being one, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it once um but it was like, on all of our minds <laughs> I know. but like have more than one and so you actually make an army of these yeah. amulets that like who cares if one gets destroyed because you have a thousand of them right mm-hmm. and then like you send out you have like an army of a cult or you just like you're they're, they're gifted to like a specific army that goes out to war and they're famous for winning wars and the whole purpose of it is for just to feed souls back to this lich right Woo! that's cool all right so my idea for a quest is actually like you're in a long-term campaign you know that the switch is your bbeg and as a dm i would create a like one shot and just be like yeah we're gonna just do a random one shot this week uh you know i'm not prepped for the full campaign i gotta work stuff out but it actually being showing the players how that lich came to be a lich is how I would like I think that would be a really fun quest for at the end like at the end your players discovering that this is the guy you know that they've been hunting the whole time I think that would be as a player a very cool thing to experience yeah it's like getting to play through the flashback right yeah yeah yeah, this person's story and you actually start one of those flashbacks where you actually start to feel sorry for the bad evil guy yeah yeah (laughs) and then you have to go back with you as the player knowing that but your character not knowing that (laughs) still murder it you know yeah yeah yeah. love Love a good prequel yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right 
right. Next question. Um, one the question that I love and I feel it's going to come up a lot in our series of the undead is body horror and mm -hmm. how you would utilize it within the campaign using a lich. So we talked a little bit about the body horror and how they look, but Casey, any other thoughts on how you would want to use the uh, the grossness of a lich? Megan, when you're talking about kind of the the guard walking along with the camp, the party and guarding the phylactery, what if the lich itself was disguising itself and it was one of your party for a really long time say you go to a, a town and then a couple extra people join your party you bond with them and then it's a long time later one of them reveals itself and it just melts away its disguise and it's this horrific decrepit lich and yeah. i think <laughs> hmm. you could use that and it could end up doing like some ability score changes some alignment changes in your group it could be a massive reveal moment it could be that by that point one of the party members has fallen in love with that character that <sighs> character and the betrayal oh man yes and so the reveal of just the emaciated lich figure one it could then turn on everybody and be like, hey, like, <laughs> jokes on you guys and just and just battle ensues. Or it could reveal itself, but still be in love with one of the characters and want them to join them and be still the same person that they were under disguise. Uh, and then you have to go over that whole mental thing of physical appearance. <laughs> I love the visual of like being in battle one day and then like their armor being broken off or like maybe they yeah. got hit by a fireball and it melted away some of their armor and yeah. like they're from like neck down. It's just like this emaciated thing. Yeah. I also like the idea of that if they're traveling with you for a long time, they're slowly, of course, decaying as they're traveling with you, but they're decaying because for some reason they realize that you are a good party and you're not <laughs> killing anything. Ooh, uh -huh. <laughs> and so then it starts to get frustrated and it, then it starts to try and turn your team to be like, mm -hmm. no, we act like we should actually kill these people. Like, and they become that chaotic voice for your team mm -hmm. and that weird good versus evil, like battle within your team because yeah because like, yeah, they're just like you know you're not killing enough people we need to kill them like and then they get like slowly crazier and crazier and crazier and their body is decaying and decaying and decaying yes. and then eventually they'll realize what's going on right um, yeah what party isn't killing enough people though you know what we went at the <laughs> beginning of our campaign we had two lawful good characters that didn't want to kill anyone oh, so we oh. actually went a long time without killing anyone of like quote-unquote importance we killed our ogres and our okay. kobolds and our whatever you know <laughs> but like killing those of great power we did not do like we didn't kill like innocent folks xyz like like so we, we did have a pretty good campaign for a while until Acro was a twat waffle, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What I about think you? Dan's character, Dan's character at the time was the one that fucked everything up. <laughs> Dan's characters always <laughs> fuck everything up, but I mean, I stand by it. Yeah. But what about you, Peps? Any ideas on body horror? Um, well, the two games that I DM for the most are Animal Adventures and Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> so. <Cute>. so <laughs> Opposite ends, um, but doing Call of Cthulhu, I do have to dive into the sort of body horror side of things. So I would go with that sort of like eldritch horror um, descriptive things 
if I were to describe one of these to, Squelching. to my party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the like cracking of bones and the stench of the decay and the, you know, bits of flesh falling off and things like that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. okay. Like it's, it's, it's difficult for DMs to describe if they're mm-hmm. not using undead a lot. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, if, like, you don't really need to describe the fact that like this, it's old bones it's old mm-hmm. dust. It's their muscles and their tissues are peeling from their bones. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't have to describe that a lot. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. Use as many words as possible. <laughs> yeah. And I think stench too. If there, if you can spin a way to like describe stench along with that, I think it would, resonate very well yeah take skill though <laughs> yeah it's true or you just get a really awful smelling candle and light it <laughs> like uh it. role-playing thoughts Casey how would you role-play one of these guys well I think I just come up came up with an awesome idea with the <laughs> with you the, did. <laughs> the private or secretive um NPC that potentially has become uh the big bad evil guy that was there all along um that's a cool one um ultimate evil though that's what you have to keep in mind too even if they like fall in love even if they actually really are part of your adventuring party or um your party really really likes them they are ultimate evil and so they might be your best friend kind of like Acra, where it was like i get it guys this is great. I love you guys, but we're going in this direction. Like you are going down this path. And so you kind of just got to keep teasing that and keep pulling the narrative back to that because that's what it wants. It just, it wants an army. It wants guards. It wants protection of its phylactery. And it just wants to eat souls. It just wants to gain power as best it can. So it will use the party to go get more power. So if that's the way it is, it's like, yeah, you guys are my best friends. Let's do this. But it's all for its own gain. Yeah, 100 mm-hmm. percent. And like, um, and then my part to add to that would be not only are they constantly remembering that they're evil, they're they are ageless. They live forever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like they're not really gonna care about the small potatoes. They're not gonna really care about anything other than what is and to peps you said at the beginning they don't really care about any the real world issues unless it directly affects them mm-hmm. so they're just gonna be like i don't really care about what's happening in this small town but they might care about what's happening in that small town should one of their lieutenants or army or phylactery be in that small town right right that's the only mm-hmm. thing they would really care about because they're going to be self they're, they're selfish right yeah so when you're speaking to one of these if you're role-playing one and you're speaking with your team and they're talking about the small potato shit they're like they don't don't really care like Mm -hmm. but you are going to do this for me instead because i need this done for me and if you don't do it i will kill you like (laughs) and move on to the next adventuring group like yeah (laughs) and the long game like they they have no time limit really so Mm -hmm. it's true (laughs) What about um, you, Peps? Another interesting thing when thinking about role-playing them is they are any evil alignment. So they are not specifically lawful. They're not specifically chaotic. They can be any evil alignment. So you can play around with different one, like how they were in life, if they were more lawful or if they were more chaotic. Um, but yeah, they are, they're going to be obsessed with power. They're going to be obsessed with powerful items, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So... But like we said, they're not, 
going to have a timeline. They're not going to care about how long it's taking for these things to happen because they have all the time in the world. So if you come to them with an urgent thing, they aren't going to care. But they could come to you with, uh, I really need this thing over here. I don't want to get it because I can't be bothered (laughs) to deal with that kingdom over there. But I need it. So I need you to go get it. Um, I would just have them very... They're incredibly smart. You know, their intelligence is pretty maxed. Um, So they're going to be very smart talking to you. They're going to have all the reasons why you should do this. And almost, they even have like a higher charisma too than you would expect. So they're going to have a good chance of really talking your party into these things. I think if you interact with them, you don't have to straight go to combat. There's... There's a lot of um, social encounters you could have with them as well for whatever their thing is that their big plan. And they're smart enough to trick you into that big plan and not tell you what it is and just be like, yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like it's the small potatoes they don't care about. They're going to make you do that Uh feel like small potatoes to you because it seems like it doesn't matter. But it's a very small part to a very long, elaborate plan. Yes. Right. And they're not going to clue you in on what that long plan is. They're just going to trick you into doing that small piece. Yeah. No, they're just going to be like, oh, well, these items were stolen from me. I need you to go to retrieve them. And then Uh it turns out that it's like a piece of a different lich's phylactery that they're collecting so they could be the ultimate lich. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, those bitches. (laughs) all right well we did talk a lot about exploration and clues kind of with them already and some of our like creative ideas on how to utilize them so Mm -hmm. my last question around them is probably around combat is yeah if you fight one what's it going to be like or like casey any thoughts right away i think this is actually really challenging for a dm because they're so powerful um you could make one well good but wrong (laughs) wrong choice for a spell or an ability, and mm-hmm. it could be a TPK. So I think you have to really think about each ability and know them very well. So you aren't in the throes as a DM in the combat and go, uh, this one and play it and then realize, oh shit, <laughs> this could be really, really bad. <laughs> Did I want to go this way? So know it very well as a DM so mm-hmm. you can manage it appropriately and not make sure your party doesn't die, but it is terrifyingly powerful. Mm-hmm. And so you just got to make sure you go toe to toe appropriately and don't end the fight too quickly. <laughs> and yeah, lean yeah. into that a little bit, I yeah. think. And as combat, as a player, ugh, all the power to you. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Good luck. Don't like, do it. Throw... Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And especially if as a player, you, you, if you have done some sort of research in the game to know what you're up against, then you might know the specific tiny fragments that might do actual damage to a lich. But if you don't, you're just going to throw your biggest thing at them. It's probably going to be disappointing <laughs> on impact, but then you learn, but then you might realize, oh, we are out of our depth and you have to run away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's scary. It gives me like that, like twisty stomach feeling, even as a DM or as a player. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I think there's two things to remember with the liches. One, they're probably never really going to leave their lair unless they have to. Like, Mm -hmm. they're stronger in their lair and no one's going to come after them within their lair. 
because yeah. their fi- like their phylactery is probably not going to be there and they're just hanging out having a good time because they know no one is going to challenge them. Um, so as a DM, I would lean into that and the fact that like you probably will never leave the lair and it's your home. They know it. They know it well. If you are a player and you want to fight a lich, I feel like it's going to be like, do the research on it as players. And then if you find out what its phylactery is, that's your go-to. Find its phylactery, destroy its phylactery, go from there. It's kind of like trying to figure out how to kill Strahd. You know, it's that same kind of exploration and figuring out process of how do I kill a thing that I can't fight, right? Find its Were we supposed to kill Strahd? Oh, are we? I know, no, I'm married. No, 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 no. You're supposed to fall in love, get married, have babies, yeah. and then that's, murder him. That's what I did. <laughs> we know you did, Puffs. Yeah. Well, somebody else murdered him, but then I resurrected him, so he's now my servant. How dare you murder my husband? <laughs> On our wedding night. <laughs> well. Oh, dear. Any final combat thoughts from you, Peps? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the phylactery is like the key to yeah. don't don't even attempt unless you have that taken care of already. Um, yeah. Well, there's no point, right? Yeah, there's they're no just going to come back and be extra pissed off at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're going to have to have some sort of like magic blocking something like you need to have somebody that has um counter spell or dispel magic or magic items that can take down spells because that's the key to their power is their laundry list of spells that they have um their only actual like attack other than their legendary actions is their paralyzing touch yeah so which is a range of five feet so if you can take down their spells somehow or you can get them to burn through spell slots and waste them and not get close to them to be paralyzed, <laughs> then Whoops. you might be okay. <laughs> yeah, you might, you may or may not you be like kind be of okay. Right. You're, yeah, your tanky people are probably getting paralyzed at some point <laughs> in this situation. <laughs> but also as a DM, if you don't want a TPK, that is a good way to stop the fight is they can just use their paralyzing touch and just yeah. hold everybody. And have the conversation and be like, yeah. you are out of your league yes. right now. <laughs> yes. Back up. <laughs> yes. So as a DM, like if, it, if this is not the final battle and your players come in hot, like that's a good way to just like pause. I like you don't want to do this. I was like, what players would do that? But then there was, I remember a very specific time. It wasn't a lich, but I remember being in a dungeon. And uh-huh. there was a dragon. Uh-huh. And my character was like, yeah, man. And like went to go run forward to hit it. And then I think it was another <laughs> character like put up a stone wall and said, nope. Grabbed nope. everybody and ran. And I was just like. <laughs> but I wanted to hit the dragon. <laughs> yeah. What players would come in hot? All of them. All, all of, of us. Them. All of us come in hot. <laughs> it's right. the, if we go down, we go down together mentality. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, sure. it was always Cora. Cora's running in, so... <laughs> She's she's the smart one, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, speaking of coming in hot, let's move on to demi-liches. Oh, boy. As if liches weren't horrific enough. Um, So exploring what happens when liches be so cray that they fail to feed mortal souls into their phylactery. So, uh, Peps, you touched on, like, how frequently 
So it does have mm-hmm. to be frequent enough that it doesn't just dry up. Yeah. <laughs> so if this occurs, which I mean, you can decide how long it is. I feel like it could be years. It could be months. It just depends on the DM. Um, so when it occurs, the bones that you have under that like thin, gnarly skin start to just turn to dust. And slowly but surely, all that's left is your skull. And it will remain dormant until it is disturbed. So perhaps by accident, perhaps by an adventuring party, somebody that is somewhere they shouldn't be. But this fragmented existence of this skull is what's called the demi-lich. And so many times they are perceived as having uh, gems in their eye sockets. And that is also where, um, like, they're called soul gems. So that's where souls could be stored um, when they're in that state. And so it can potentially collect souls in those gems for the phylactery whenever it it comes back to have in contact with the phylactery. Um, The Demi-Lich is pretty strong. (laughs) Um, However, it no longer has the same arcane abilities as um, the Lich form, but you still do not want to fuck with this unexpectedly at all. Um, the Ademilich rises up in what the monster manual calls um, wraith-like form. So imagine it's quiet, it's silent wherever you are. If you're in the depths of a tomb or in a labyrinth, you walk where you shouldn't. <laughs> and suddenly you just feel this sense of dread and this evil presence And up comes a most terrifying skull floating out of the earth and emits a horrific howl that just gives shivers and fear through all of the party. And that is what you experience with a demi-lich. So terrifying that the howl can potentially drop anyone within 30 feet to unconscious. So we'll get more into stats on that, but it is, it is intense. (laughs) so exciting. (laughs) Um, So why would a lich ever choose to become a demi-lich? In most circumstances, except for this story of Asarak, which Megan, I think you're going to touch on a little later, they really don't. They essentially lose a sense of time and reason, and they may even lose memory that they are supposed to continue feeding souls to their phylactery. And it just happens when they're in and they end up moving back into a tomb, into their home, setting up protection, and then they become a demi-lich that way. Um, So it has undead nature. It doesn't require anything to exist. Air, food, drink, sleep. It will just remain as a demi-lich indefinitely. It will always as well have the max amount of hit points for its hit dice instead of the average. So it's just lying in wait forever. So you could encounter a a demi-lich that is thousands and thousands of years old, and you could unwittingly feed it souls and or find its phylactery and unwittingly feed a soul back to it. And that will give rise to the demi-lich becoming a lich again. 
So this is kind of the biggest spin too, is it has enduring existence. So where its phylactery survives, as long as that still exists, the demi-lich will continue to exist. It's important to note that a demi-lich is not the very end of a lich. Enduring existence allows it to survive as long as its phylactery still exists. So if the demi-lich is destroyed, it will reform in 1d10 days, similar to the lich. And if the phylactery is fed a soul, the lich form is restored as well. It's very powerful. And um, before we get into the stats specifically, there is a little bit of differences in some other lore besides um, the monster manual. Uh, in earlier editions, the lich was medium size and it evolved into actually being tiny size in the in the in fifth edition um we may also see other parts of the body not just the skull have gems like joints or the spine may still exist and be covered in these gems and there is uh, an emphasis around potentially the number eight, so having eight gems. And I think this is maybe similar to the phylactery and having multiple phylacteries. So having eight gems, you potentially have to destroy all eight gems plus the phylactery to fully destroy the demi-lich and the lich. So those are kind of interesting spins that you could do if you, if you want. Uh, these also have layer actions. So when a demi-lich is in its layer, the CR is 20. If it's outside of its layer, the CR is 18. Still very high, still very dangerous. <laughs> Tread carefully. Layer actions are pretty interesting and you can basically do one per round. It's in initiative order. Uh, the tomb can tremble violently uh, to knock players prone. Um, the demilich can target a creature within 60 feet with a magic field or an anti-magic field, not a magic field, an anti-magic field. Um, and so then that player can't do any magic whatsoever for a full round. Um, it can also target a number of creatures within 30 feet um, so that they can gain regain no hit points for that entire round. So they're pretty devastating. Again, just the, the party needs to be prepared if they're entering a lair. Uh, they absolutely have lots of different abilities. Um, the layers can do incredible necrotic damage. And if it has monsters that are helping protect its lair, those also have advantages. Uh, you can't travel in and out magically. You can travel magically within, but don't try to teleport into a tomb that potentially has a demi-lich. It just won't work. If we go right into the actual stat block, um, they are tiny, undead, neutral, evil. They have an AC of 20, an HP of 80. Again, they are a floating skull, so they don't have high strength. That is their only minus modifier. Con is average and everything else is super fucking high. Like just, they have it all. Uh, they have a fly speed of 30 feet, um, true sight, of 120 feet. They don't speak any languages. Um, what else is exciting? Oh, look, Peps, like you said, it's a massive list of damage resistances, damage immunities, mm -hmm. condition immunities. I think the Demi-Lich might even have more than the Lich just because of the form it takes. 
It's intense. It's they an impenetrable have... flying skull. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, like, oh, if yeah, chills. It's just, it's a lot. Uh, as for abilities, they have avoidance, which means if it has to make a saving throw to only take half damage, it instead takes no damage if it succeeds and half on a fail. It has legendary resistances. Those are the fucking bane of a, of a party. I, mm-hmm. like, as a player character, as soon as the DM says it's going to use a, its legendary resistance, it's like, well, fuck. <laughs> like the most frustrating, uh-huh. but fun as a DM. <laughs> so it has the action of howl, which has a recharge. But that's what I was talking about, that horrific howl. Creatures within 30 feet that can hear the howl must succeed on a DC 15 con save or drop to zero hit points. On a successful save, the creature is frightened. So as a DM, if you use this, it can be devastating. Um, if no no player has the ability to do greater restoration, <laughs> you might be in big trouble. Um, it also has an action of life drain. Targets up to three creatures it can see within 10 feet. Target must succeed on DC 13 con save or take 66 necrotic damage. And the Demi Lich sucks and regains that amount of hit points on itself. So you are going to do so many rounds to make a tiny dent in this thing's HP. It has legendary actions. It can do um, so many things. It can do flight. It can do cloud of dust which was my favorite. I won't go through all of them because there's a lot, but cloud of dust is when it magically swirls up its bone dust into the air. And then any creature within 10 feet needs to make a con save or be blinded. So you essentially get the lich's bone (laughs) dust in your eyes and you can't see. It's like like pocket sand, but from the eye sockets. Yeah. I want Nasty. that to be what it says when it like casts it. Pocket sand. Pocket sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I love it. Um, and it has an energy drain and vile curse, which means it can curse a creature. And that is within 30 feet. So it's not like it needs to be right up on you before it will curse you. And a, having a curse is pretty rough. So yeah, I'm just, I'm terrified of this just as much as a lich. Uh, And you would think it would be less because it doesn't have all of the spell capabilities as the lich, but it it packs a punch for sure. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange to go from like this whole body horror thing, like whole body horror and she's like, oh, it's just a skull, but it's not just a skull, is it? (laughs) All right. No. (laughs) Well, let's raise some dice and ask some questions about some dippy liches. I've got a 12. I've got a 17. I a 13. I go last with a 12. Fuck off. Die for fire. <laughs> All right, Peps, you're first. What's yeah. a lovely quest idea that you have for a Demi-Lich? A lovely quest idea. Um, I think the best quest for a Demi-Lich is to not know that that's what's going to happen. Like, you're set on a quest, like you said, they could be hidden in a labyrinth or something like that, and you have to go through there, and, like, you have no clue that a Demi-Lich is there. Yeah, um, it's just hiding. It's just a tiny it's little just skull. there. <laughs> but, like, whatever sent you there knows that a Demi-Lich is there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just doesn't fucking tell your party. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's what I, I would just not tell them. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. What about you, Casey? 
Yeah, I love that one. Or it's like you have to go somewhere to retrieve something that one of the, say, demi-liches or liches guards has stolen and put there. And you have no idea that it's there, but you have to just go retrieve. And you think you're going to come up and encounter some sort of monster, but not a demi-lich. Mm -hmm. So it's, you're walking in, trying to retrieve some sort of loot that's been trapped or put into this tomb. And it could be as interesting as, as a DM, you lay out the map of this tomb and you mark one spot on the map. And if a player walks on that spot, the demi-lich comes up. But if they don't, you might do this whole encounter and just have to manage traps and other monsters that might be in there. But you get it and you leave and you think, huh, no big deal. Then you can get them to circle back for some other reason. <laughs> but it could be that close to encountering and having to combat a demi-lich or not and I think that could be a fun thing I was gonna say like we have come across a demi-lich in our campaign just recently Casey and I and I didn't realize that until this episode and it, that we are <laughs> did current... not realize that's what that was <laughs> yeah so I'm not gonna go into detail about like what's happening in our campaign with the demi-lich but the idea was really cool in the sense that we came across this skull with gemmed eyes that basically made a deal with us saying I will bring your friends back to life because we all hate we had a TPK that day uh-huh. and basically told the one player that was still alive I'll bring your friends back to life but I need you to bring me somewhere and so she had to carry this skull across a desert <laughs> with the dead bodies of her people and like carry with this skull and this like and, they, and then things happened and then eventually uh-huh. like we came back to life but now we have this demi-lich that we made a deal with. Yeah. Right? So Absolutely. it's like, and, and I did not know it was a demi-lich until I read this shit. And I was like, fuck you, Adam. <laughs> Me too. Same. Yeah. Same, Megan. And I'm like, fucking Adam was just sitting there with a grin on his face during this whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good. We've made a deal with Demi Lynch. Yeah. That's fantastic. But I like that idea that like you can introduce it. Again, it's one of those things that your characters don't necessarily, your players won't necessarily know what it is. You've mm-hmm. just come across a talking skull that's sentient, right? Yeah. And you're just like, okay, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Except it weirdly never really talked. It just kind of like made the deal and that was it. And like you kind of knew what to do. Um, but I like that idea. That's a good quest idea. As you come across this skull, it makes a deal with you because it's trying to return to a certain place, but like it might make wreak havoc on you. You won't know that it's what's wreaking havoc on you, but it's like, I can make whatever's happening to you stop, but I need you to take me somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you are now traveling with this. And I also thought this would have been really cool. Akra wore the skull of her dead trainer or whatever. Could Uh you imagine if that skull was a demi-lich? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Like, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, you could have been walking around with a demi-lich on your head the whole fucking time and you wouldn't fucking know. No. And like, now that the fact that she's a lich and like, just don't put that in Adam's mind. It is now. It's- He's editing this episode. It's there. <laughs> there. <laughs> because we don't need to be fighting a lich with a demi-lich. Is that... <laughs> Well, I would be epic, but yeah, that would be a CR21 and a CR20 at Absolutely. the same yes. time. 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate it. Good. Um, all right. Well, I mean, we did talk a little bit about body horror already and the fact that we're dealing with a skull. Um, yeah. It's not a whole heck of a lot of more detail. We can go into that. But like, what other, like, 
you're now dealing with a skull that doesn't really know many languages. So what's are some good role playing tips you can give um, DMs? Casey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you're a little bit more limited here because you don't have like animations to do. You don't have spell casting to do where you could throw some flavor in in the role playing of it. But I think you got to definitely use the howl, even if you don't actually use it as an action, have talk about the haunting feeling as well. The like the sense of evil. I really like the idea of the wraith sounds and the just terror that that also ensues. So use that as it potentially moves around or disappears into the, the tomb wall or into the ground and then pops up somewhere else. I don't know if it actually has that ability, but sure, we'll have it make that ability. (laughs) It does now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so use those type of things, I think, to add a little bit more terror to the floating skull that's sitting before your group. (laughs) It's true. Yes. What about you, Peps? Any role-playing thoughts? Yeah, I like that um, that sort of sense of fear before you even see it. Because I do, I mean, like, these things are so evil that I think they would exude that into just the air. It's like if you go into a, a building that you, like, think is haunted and you just have that, like, uneasy feeling of, like, yeah. something bad happened here. <laughs> You know? Or just someone's constantly watching you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it would be describing that sort of thing to your players. Because um, if they don't have any languages, which is interesting that they go from like having six langu- languages to having no languages yeah. <laughs> in the next form. Um, but I would definitely play around with just the fear of, of that. Um, even before you know that they're there, like you're just uneasy, you're afraid, you feel like something is off and you don't know why because everything yeah. looks all right. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that bleeds right into being like exploration and clues mm-hmm. and sense that there's something around, and like yeah. it's like you just feel the air is thick, yeah, like, yeah. like, and to Casey, before you described stench, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it may have be it may exist in a decaying area, not that it's a decayed thing because it decayed years and years and years ago. But like it definitely would like probably exist where something like it doesn't smell great, it doesn't feel great. The air is just moist, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's you can use you could play that into the body horror as well. Yeah. But I think that if you are mysteriously like not looking for a demi lich, but are gonna come across one, those are some definite exploration clues to use to your point, mm-hmm. Pups. Like just the feeling. Like the hair on the back of your neck stands up for no yeah. reason, you know things like yeah. that <laughs> and yeah the layer does have some impact on non-evil creatures but as a dm you could also target your good characters not like the ones that are aligned good and even elevate that to be something else so it's like it's really honing in to attack and just get good out of the area yeah just sucks the good right now so even like you're like your good paladins or like your lawful good characters they're probably going to feel it the most you know they're going to feel so uneasy they're going to want to vomit like that might feel sick you know what i mean like that'd be Uh like excellent exploration stuff like that'd be great all right well speaking of that last one combat any thoughts feelings emotions around combat for these folks casey I just remember um, like old style Nintendo games where the bad creature that's floating just kind of swirls in the same motion across the screen and you have <laughs> do to you try like and a hit figure it. Eight? Yeah, yes. just like 
the infinity symbol just over and over again. <laughs> yes, you guys know exactly what I mean. <laughs> I mean, to put it lightly, that's kind of what I at first think of is just like, oh, and then it's like, God damn it, how do I hit this thing? Yeah. But cool. yeah, in combat, yeah, it's it doesn't have to go, doesn't have to move necessarily that much. It can do a lot where it is um tread lightly again i think it doesn't necessarily realize that it's dormant either it's kind of just existing there but if you make it if you disturb it and it rises up it is going to look for souls like that's what it's gonna do so i feel like you might get slightly more combat out of this than a lich because mm-hmm. it's going okay like you have like how dare you disturb me in my slumber let's do this and it will try and get a soul because it's like well we've we've been disturbed let's get a soul so we can get back to lich being a lich yeah absolutely yeah. what about you peps okay so you had mentioned before megan that one of your players has the phylactery like as their sword and don't know it so these, if you feed the phylactery a soul and then you destroy the demi-lich, it comes back by the phylactery. So you could destroy these things, not know that you have its phylactery, and in 1d10 days, a lich shows up right next to your party. I'm just like, ah! <laughs> right? Right. Like, the, of the, the thing you just killed, like how horrible <laughs> to have to fight both of them and not realize that you did that like you think you won but you did not oh my god and it can't even be like oh like <laughs> yeah so i've had a character who's had like ancestral swords to be destroyed before mm-hmm. but the fact that they would now have to destroy the ancestral sword because it is now a phylactery yeah. is just like so would be so fucking frustrating yeah because it <laughs> like... just keeps coming back unless you destroy your weapon that would right? be so sad yeah I so i it. would have that weapon like do extra damage i think to it and like you don't know why you just assume it's because it's a magical item or something maybe it has something against undead but like that is the weapon that can destroy them Mm -hmm. um and your party doesn't necessarily know why unless they did some like hardcore digging which i've never been in a party that does hardcore digging we just run into things we have dan for that and that's yeah (laughs) dan does the hardcore digging if your party is like going into it, I would definitely reward them with some knowledge of that. But I feel like for the most part, we're not going to know yeah. What, yeah. what it is. So I would give that weapon a special bonus, I think, of damage against it. Yeah. And like again, to your point, you wouldn't really know why until you actually yeah. researched into it or yeah. until that time you do happen to destroy it and then yeah. it pops up and you're like, until oh. Until it shows up next to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And this it is... could even have like some ability of of giving the like the attuned player hit points upon a kill. Like you regain like five hit points every time you murder something or something mm-hmm. like that too. So you have some of the same similar abilities to the lich and demi lich, and you don't even really realize why. Yeah, because yeah. you just think it's a cool magical item. What yeah. a great cool magical yeah. sword that I have. <laughs> it does so much for me yeah it's my best friend i don't know what you're talking about i love it 
Uh, on my end, I don't really have much extra for combat. It, I think it goes the same as like with liches. You're not necessarily going to want to fight it. It's stronger in its lair. It's going to try and trick you. Like it's you're you're not necessarily going to fight this thing. You're going to figure out a way to destroy it. Right. Same mm-hmm. kind of process. And to your point, Babs, what team does digging? No yeah. team does digging. <laughs> no team so does they'll digging. probably kill it four or five times before they actually realize what's going on. Yeah. Or, yeah. or leave it alone or not know what they're doing and, or make a deal with it the way that we did in our campaign, mm-hmm. which I'm now kicking myself for. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but that's fine. I have so many regrets. <laughs> so many regrets. Oh my gosh. Okay. What, what if Zenti has the phylactery in her bag from just something that she's picked up while she was carting around all of you dead people? <laughs> possible it's very possible and who again now you put in those bags of holding yeah who knows it could be dead bodies you never know accidentally you know just, yes. accidental dead bodies i'm carrying around whoopsie doodle uh, we've all been there we've all been we've there. all been there we've all been there yeah i'll reach into a bag of holding to some squelching um all right well uh speaking of squelching we do have a couple of alternative liches we alternative can speak liches. to yeah yes so um, I am probably saying these words wrong, um, but we have Devkaran Lich, which comes out of the Ravnica campaign. Um, only the most powerful of the Devkaran elves using Galgari magic can transcend into lichdom. They keep their grace and stature they had as elves, but their bodies do still decay slowly over time. Growing fungus on their bodies and clothes as their skin rots away. Um, Lore-wise, other than specifically being elves, these ones are only this brand of elf. Um, they don't differ a ton on the base lich. There was only like a small paragraph really of lore on them. Um, but stat-wise, they do differ quite a bit. Um, starting with their CR, they are considered a 14, so quite a bit less than your base lich. Um, The only stat that goes up for them is wisdom. Everything else either stays the same or goes down a couple points. However, they still don't have any negative modifiers, so still pretty beefy all around. Um, Strength is their lowest. Uh, They only are resistant to most physical damage not done with magical weapons instead of being immune, but condition immunities stay the same. Instead of knowing six languages, they only know three, and they are specific ones. Um, with the Lich, it said that you could pick five. They know common, and then whatever five you want to give them. For actions, they have Regenerate, where they can regain 10 hit points at the start of their turn. If they take fire or radiant damage, they do not gain any hit points. And the Lich can only die if they start their turn with zero hit points. They have Undead Fortitude. If they drop to zero hit points, they can make a con save of five plus the damage taken, unless it's Radiant or a crit. And on a success, they are at one hit point instead. Now, it doesn't have the rejuvenation, which is where the Lich, once it dies, it comes back in 1d10 days to its yeah. phylactery. Um, so they don't, you... have, they don't have phylacteries at all. They, they it just... doesn't say. Yeah, like, it that's what it sounds like. It's the, it the way didn't to kill specifically them. say, yeah. So yeah. would you use that, um, that they don't have phylacteries? The lore is really brief. Um, it, like I said, it doesn't 
mention phylacteries or exactly how they are created other than they are Galgori magic. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's kind of like how they're written is like th- what makes them different is that they don't have phylacteries, but mm-hmm. they are very difficult to kill because yeah, of the type they of are, magic they have. Yes. Yeah. And the with the regenerate and the undead fortitude, like getting them to start their turn at zero HP mm-hmm. is going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They also have a Noxious Touch, which is 46 damage, and the creature must make a con save or be poisoned for one minute. They have legendary actions of using a cantrip, a Noxious Touch, or Disrupt Life, which is nearly the same as the beach base liches. However, it goes up to 30 feet range instead of 20, which I thought was interesting that hmm. even though they're a lower CR, that specific trait goes up in range. Um, for their spells, they only have up to level 7 spells instead of up to level 9. There are a lot of the same ones, but they do have a few that differ. They get things like spider climb, web, and insect plague that I think really gives them that like woodsy elf flavor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've got for those guys. And then we have one more, uh, the Lichen Liches. Time for a quick editor's note. Normally I don't get involved when I'm editing, especially for pronunciation, because it is fantasy bullshit made up words. Uh, however, this is a real word, uh, and it fits right into their theme, because they are kind of all about moss and spores and all that shit. These are the lichen liches. So, uh, Pep's called them lichen liches, uh, which I totally understand, because it's spelled like lich, but these ones are, are pronounced lichen liches. These are, so your base lich are wizards. These are druids. They're the most powerful druids. Um, They look mostly skeletal with uh, fungi and bark covering their bones and clothes. Vines that come out of their chests leaking a black and poisonous fluid. Its lair actions are things like clouds of poisonous spores, creating shambling mounds, and erupting rotten roots and vines from the ground to restrain creatures. These liches are a CR of 18, so a little bit higher than the last guys. Um, Wisdom is their highest one, which is different than the other ones. Their intelligence was the highest, but that tracks for druids. Um, and strength is still their lowest because they're all skeletons. So they, you know, no muscles. <laughs> they do not have any resistances or immunities to physical damage like the others. So it will be a bit easier to hit these guys, but they still have six different condition immunities. So don't count on charming, scaring, or paralyzing them, among some other things. For actions, we do see rejuvenation again in the stat block. Um, they also ha- get a multi-attack and can hit four times in one round. So these guys seem to be a little bit more combat heavy than the other ones do. With They didn't have a multi-attack at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they get poisonous touch, which is a 5d6 poison damage. And you have to make a con save or be poisoned for one minute. They have a ranged spell called Wither, which does 4d6 necrotic damage. And we have Firestorm, which is a 7th level spell they can cast one time per day. They can create 10 10-foot cubes within 150 feet of them in spaces they can see that all fill with fire. Each creature in that area makes a deck save or takes 7d10 fire damage or half on a save. Yeah, that's that's a a lot. (laughs) Luckily, they can only do that once a day. 
or it would just be over. Um, I like it that it says that these liches can choose to let the plant life in that area be unaffected if they want. So, like, they don't care if you die, but they're saving their plants. <laughs> they're plant moms. Um, for legendary actions, they can attack using, or they can do their attack, which is the poison touch. They can use a poison prick. They target one creature that is poisoned, and that creature must make a con save or fall unconscious until the poison condition ends. Um, with being able to do four poison touches in one round, pretty much everyone's going to have that poison condition at some point. Like that's so the poison prick could take out pretty much anybody. Um, and they have sap life. The lich targets one creature. It must make a con save or takes 2d10 necrotic damage and the lich regains HP equal to the damage that is done. So that's, that's pretty, pretty dope. Yeah. Those I are like so these guys. Yeah. yeah. All Just right. Cute little druidy liches. Right. Plant moms is the best description I've ever heard. <laughs> Plant moms. <laughs> I don't care anything about my plants. You can fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. But I'm saving my plants. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, I mean, like, uh, roll dice. I've got a couple questions based on some of these guys here. We got a 10. 12. 2. Amazing. Perhaps, <laughs> when would you include these in your campaign as a DM? Um. Well, the Ravnica ones seem very specific. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. You kind of have to be in Ravnica. <laughs> yeah, have to be in Ravnica. Um, I don't think I mentioned the Lichen ones come out of the Candlekeep Mysteries. Okay, yeah. Um, so those ones I think would be a lot easier to play around with in other campaigns. Um, if you come up against a big group of druids or you have a very druid forward campaign, um, they'd be very easy to to put in there. Or if you just come into a forest these guys will probably be there. Um, I actually have a phylactery idea for these guys that my husband gave me the idea, so I won't take the credit. <laughs> Look at but you. But <laughs> it's that they put their soul into a seed and plant that seed, and it grows into a tree, and then each of the saplings that come out of that tree take a piece of that soul, and this forest grows and grows. And as druids specifically, I think this would be a good one for them until eventually you have a whole forest that is the phylactery. So you would have to destroy all of them. Light it on fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, would have to, you would have to burn down a whole forest before being able to take out this but, guy. And the frightening part is that the roots would still exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and like, and that's a whole thing with forestry, right? Is that like forests, you burn them to rebirth them, right? Yes. And like... So even burning them wouldn't it's do not necessarily gonna work <laughs> yeah that's fucking frightening actually yeah like that's more frightening to me than an actual like what the previous liches we have spoken to if that was to exist mm -hmm. holy fuck yeah well now i'm afraid i'm gonna find that in our campaign but he I, he's like, like yeah he was like, <laughs> i have this i have this idea and i was like fuck uh -huh. <laughs> oh, i love it though that's a brilliant yeah. idea because i was just gonna say something simple along the lines of like you would use them if you were doing like a forestry campaign mm -hmm. like you know and like they wouldn't necessarily be evil and after you because again like liches don't really care about the small potatoes in life mm -hmm. but you would come across one without knowing that you did they would just yeah. be like the forest witch or like you know like the mossy 
weird thing that's hanging out in the corner kind of thing the thing that's friends with the giants you know what i mean there's that dark forest that nobody goes in and like we don't really know why just nobody goes in there and it's like legends of these liches being there yeah and like even the druids are like we're not we don't go in there we're here we are here to protect the forest Uh (laughs) and like can keep the balance because if we don't keep the balance and you hurt the forest you could wake up the liches right yes. like they they keep the forest safe to keep the lich at bay yeah right mm-hmm. yeah but we're mm. but we don't go in <laughs> we have camp outside of the forest yeah and we stay there that's true what about you casey would you use them and if so how would you use them yeah and i think the forest idea is great it could be also the t- determine like if you burn the forest down that determines the time frame of how long it takes to restore like the 1d 10 days thing you could spin Mm -hmm. that where um somebody has the knowledge of it will take 100 years for this forest to regrow so we now have a hundred years of grace where but we know that it will return so that could be a cool story too could you imagine if it was the exact opposite where it took one d10 days for the forest to be completely <laughs> restored <laughs> like it just suddenly like you like light this this forest up or whatever or like mm-hmm. your barbarian or something like takes out half the forest doing like one sweep attack or something like that and then you camp for the night you roll the dice and you wake up the next morning and the forest returns to its original oh gosh yeah <laughs> like, Oh my god, that's like a good exploration tip to it though, to find out that it is that kind of like a magical regrowth forest or like that part of it. Yeah, well, and aside from the forest, my mind actually went to swamp. So Mm. I was thinking like never-ending story swamp, Mm -hmm. and I think it's because I have fought shambling mounds before and they are not fun (laughs) like they're fun to to play as a dm but they're fucking annoying to fight so i imagine like navigating through a swamp and those like a never-ending story but are both of you as traumatized by never-ending story as a child Yes, like 100 yeah. i don't know that i've seen it all the way through oh, it's God. one of those films that i feel like I it was on tv it was on tv <laughs> so much as a child that i watched like small parts of it like yeah. over like, time i know what happens but i don't think i have the connection to yeah that's it <laughs> to be as traumatized yeah that's fine that's fine bless you for for <laughs> being protected but i just imagine slogging through the swamps and you're walking by these giant mounds of just that looks just like piles of moss or or gunk and then you just get to a certain point and then you start noticing the mounds moving and then they end up being shambling mounds and other things and you are you basically strolled into um the realm of of this type of lich which i think would be cool too oh Mm. that really makes me want to add a black dragon into the mix too there you go of course you would (laughs) i know i know you say swamp and i'm like black dragons (laughs) dragons. no like when you were speaking of like movies that traumatized you that reminded you of this there's one that i know that i really want someone to hear this episode and reach out because like there's very few people that have seen this movie and it's the warriors of virtue i don't know either of you guys seen that movie Okay, it is a children's movie, and it is basically about a kid that gets sucked into a magical realm where there are um, 
five kangaroos that have <laughs> elemental magic capabilities and they are basically the warriors of virtue and it's like this whole uh, forest versus the evil guy etc storyline but again mm-hmm. one of the girls who is one of the, the female kangaroo is like the earth and she uses flowers as weapons so okay. she throws them as darts <laughs> <laughs> and like that's all I can think because we talked about these things have poison that poison thing like all yeah. I can think of is like throwing these little poison flower darts it was all I could really think in my head it would be really cute but anyways yeah. I digress <laughs> all right uh last question to wrap up talking about these folks um think of maybe like a horrifying detail or even maybe like a battle tactic that you would use for these liches perhaps I believe you were first oh yes um the battle tactic, well, I would go with the elf guys. Like, if we're if you're not doing the phylactery with them, but they do have that, like, they're gonna be so hard to get down mm-hmm. to a to zero hit points because they have the thing that brings them back to one. They have the thing that they regain hit points at every turn. Yeah. Um, they're gonna be extremely hard to get down. And unless your party specifically knows to use radiant or fire, they're they're just not. Yeah, it's basically... gonna be an ongoing. They're gonna be beaten down, beaten a dead horse, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, <laughs> sorry, like, like you why can't kill does me. this guy keep coming back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you'll think that it's a lich. You'll think, oh, if we find a phylactery, we can kill it. But you're never gonna find a phylactery. You're just gonna have to fucking yeah. deal with not being able yeah. to kill it. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I was gonna say the same thing that it would be so fucking frustrating in a battle not being able to kill this thing and it keeps regenerating, keeps regenerating. And at what point does it run away and be like, okay, well, I'm tired of getting beat, yeah. so I'm gonna, like, like, I am exhausted. Or would they just sit there and let them guys. try? Yeah. Like, what's the mood of like that? That that um, elf would be like, okay, well, I again, yeah. I don't care about the small potatoes. I'm just gonna sit here until you tire yourselves out. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck off. You know, like. <laughs> How hilarious would that be? What about you, Casey? Um, I kind of like that essentially neither one of these, ha- they they don't have specific layers that they're meant to, you have to seek out and that's pretty much the only way you're going to find them. Um, especially the, the Lich in Lich, you could actually drop that into a few different scenarios and it can be very devastating and their abilities can translate into those areas as well like I imagine like that especially that fire ability um like say you're walking through a forest and you see a wall of fire just coming your way Mm -hmm. and it's not burning the forest but it's burning every creature that you see as it's moving across just lighten up the squirrels (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I think that's that's a unique characteristic of both of these, which I think is very different than the other ones. You kind of, you can put them into a lot of scenarios mm-hmm. and uh, those heavy hitter things like the, the fire is pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Because even with that fire, so it's 10 cubes that are 10 feet and it has to be within 150 feet of where it can see. There's only 50 feet in that area that's not getting yeah. one of these cubes of fire. Yeah. So two thirds of that whole area are going up and mm-hmm. yeah. like there's yeah, no way they're not placing it on top of any of your party members unless you're hidden because you have to see it but 
Yeah. <laughs> and then just imagine like it, it hitting and hopefully everyone makes it through. And then when it subsides, the forest is perfectly fine. And then you just keep moving forward and you come across corpses, charred corpses of everything just mm -hmm. along the way. And if and it is not where you would expect a lich to be. So it would probably be the last thing that you would think is causing this. Like you would think potentially some sort of witch or hag or some other forest monstrosity, mm -hmm. not a lich. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. like that. Like I now know about this one because it could be a good spin as well. Yeah, because I, I I read hag when I think of the things that it can do. And to your point, thinking swamps, we have swamp hags, we have all these things, right? Like that's what you'll yeah. think of right away if you're going to be a Dan who's going to try and figure out what it is that you're fighting right away. Yeah. And then it turns out to be a lich, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This is how we get you, Dan. <laughs> it's how we get you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about two of the most famous liches in D and D. So the thing to note. Uh, we're, well, we're going to talk about uh, Vecna and Aserarach. So the thing to note about the lore behind these folks is that it has shifted and adjusted over time, depending on the edition that you're working, working with, as well as pop culture fame from things like, you know, when Matt Mercer's group used Vecna in their campaign, as well as, of course, Stranger Things utilized Vecna as the big bad evil guy in a TV series. Uh, and honestly, if you haven't watched it, get off your high horse and watch it. It's a good TV series. I don't mm -hmm. care what anybody says. It's adorable. <laughs> Eddie for life. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to try and touch on what we get in fifth edition specifically, because that's kind of what our podcast is about. But I'm going to add in and sprinkle a few pieces of cool history that may or not may or may not be thought of as canon, but are really good creative fodder to be used within your campaigns. So first we have Aserarach. I'll talk about him first, just because he's kind of like, uh, kind of fits into a couple things we already talked about today. So as uh, Casey mentioned, he was a demi-lich at one point. He was a skull. It's technically not written in 5th edition that he was a demi-lich. In 5th edition, he is currently as standing just an arch-lich, like he's a lich-lich. His body was restored. Uh, and you can find him within the Tomb of Annihilation. It's his big bad and evil guy kind of place. Um, and as I said, he's kind of described as a lich who roams the world's trapping souls of adventurers and kind of luring them specifically into these tombs. Um, the most famous tomb, of course, is the Tomb of the Nine Gods, where he is thought to have destroyed nine false gods and sealed them away. So that's kind of like the whole big story arc of the Tomb of Annihilation. Um, but other than that, there's a lot of really cool pieces of that weird non-fifth edition history where he was potentially what at one point um, Vecna's apprentice or what have you, or, um, again, like he's just, it's kind of same as Vecta where he has been liched, demi-liched, then liched again. And then all these things over time that you as a DM can kind of decide what point in the storyline of his life you would want to utilize him. Um, and then kind of go from there. But a couple of key points about his personality that you probably want to keep in mind is that he does not give a shit about revenging his own death. So if you were as a group to have killed him and like he regains and comes back, he doesn't care. He's just like, whatever, man, he's going to let time kill you. And then he's going to come after your kin. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like his, his big deal is like, he's like, if you kill him once, you probably won't see him again because he doesn't care. But if you were to play in a campaign later down the line with like future characters, those characters might see him again because he's coming after you later in life, right? Um, and the other kind of scary thing about him is that you don't actually know, no one knows what or where his phylactery is. Not even the gods know what or where his phylactery is. 
So it would it's very up to, up to DM discretion what and where that will be um, to, for your group to try and kill this thing because you probably cannot. Uh, Stats-wise, uh, so within the Tomb of Annihilation, there is a stat block for Sarak, which you can utilize for your 5th edition campaigns. Um, he is a CR 23. So one of your, one of your big, big bad evil guys, shall we say. Um, has a lot of the same things as, uh, regular liches do. So basically immune to most things and you get very, very hard to attack or kill him. He knows at least, uh, he knows so many languages, abyssal, common, draconic, dwarvish, elvish, giant, infernal, primordial, and undercommon. So any dark language you can think of, this guy probably knows. Uh, he does carry a staff of the forgotten one. Uh, as well as a talisman of the uh, talisman uh, of the sphere, and has a sphere of the annihilation, basically under his control, which is one of his abilities and capabilities. Um, I won't waste your time by going through all of his abilities because he is a lich. He has all of the same things liches do, like paralyzing touch, um, a whole bunch of different spells, uh, like a lot of spells. But it's your classic ones like mage hand um, and it's animate death counter spell cloud kill um circle of death is a good one but then he also has disintegrate finger of death and plane shift and teleport so those are some of the big ones that i find are like gonna fuck your team up shall we say Mm -hmm. yeah and then again he's a ninth level spellcaster so he has power word kill so and time stop (laughs) (laughs) don't fight him don't fight him (laughs) that's our advice (laughs) 100 percent run away <laughs> yeah um and then as i mentioned like um, now we'll go into too many details uh he does get legendary actions um but some of the scary things that he has is he does have invoke curse uh which is basically while he's holding that staff of the forgotten one that i mentioned he can expend one charge um on a creature within 60 feet of him that must succeed on like a dc 23 con save um or be cursed um and what that curse basically means is that you cannot regain hit points and you're vulnerable to necrotic damage and you darn well know that you're going to be surrounded by undead when you're when you're fighting this guy so one bop with his staff you're cursed and you are going to die like Mm -hmm. and the only thing that can save you is greater restoration remove curse um or something along those similar magical means and lines so yeah that's a sarah i don't like it fun yeah I honestly like to, again as I mentioned at the beginning of this like there's so much history between like a Sarak Vecna and a couple of all these really famous liches mm-hmm. that it it's it they are built to not be fought they are built to be campaign builders right yeah so but uh I'll get into Vecna a little bit and kind of describe what I mean by when I say that so when it comes to Vecna the first thing that I will say is that he was He's a big bad evil guy that is not based on any kind kind of current like lore or fantasy, which is what a lot of our well-known um, big bad evil guys are. This is an original creation uh, by Guy, by Gygax starting way, way back in the world of Greyhawk um, when all you saw was Vecna's hand and eye. Like him as Vecna did not exist at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and those of course are magical items that you can find within the DMG now. Um, but they were available in the DMG way back in the day as well. But that was long before 5th edition. So I'm going to try and stick to, again, our 5th edition lore that we have going on here. So right now you can find him in the Dungeon Master's Guide, um, as well as the Greyhawk adaption for 5th edition. But of course, he is a lich. 
one of the most famous liches. Uh, you can basically find him everywhere in D&D community. And again, thanks to Stranger Things. He was basically a king turned into a lich um, as a means of seeking immortality as he felt it was owed to him. Uh, before his lichdom, some say that he was experimenting on mortals to try and find a way to absorb their life's essence into his own. And no one really knows how he actually ended up becoming a lich or obtaining it, but here we are. Uh, basically, eventually, he did become bored of his immortality and just spent his life wreaking havoc in a goal to obtain all of the world's secrets. One of his big things was that he believed that secrets and knowledge about one person gained power over them. Um, so that's basically his big goal, is just to know everything about you, all of your secrets, all those things, because that to him means power. Knowledge is power to him. Over time, and like and gaining all this ultimate power, becoming this facade and basically building kingdoms and tombs and towers over the years, he basically became known by many, many different names. Think Voldemort, but for D&D. People would never really speak the name of Vecna. They would call him the Whispering One or all these other different names or anecdotes that he would go under. So you could play in a campaign with a different name for Vecna and use Vecna. 100% because he was always known as something different depending on what plane you're on, what group you're in, what timeline you're in, like whatever campaign you're playing in, he'll probably have a different name. Uh, As a true lich, he does have phylacteries, which some say, of course, are his hand and his eye, uh, which visually he is famous for being a lich that has a missing eye and a missing hand. Uh, so if you come across a lich that has a missing eye or a missing hand, you kind of know who you're dealing with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as I said, these items are attainable within the DMG, um, and you can absorb them into yourself. Peps, you had mentioned that one of your players in your game did put the eye of Ecta in his eye. That is how you do it. You have to remove the appendage and plunk it in. So you would have to remove your eye, put the eye in for you to actually gain the abilities of the eye itself. Same thing with the hand. You have to cut your hand off and put the hand on. Right. Um, Casey, we just had a campaign where someone lobbed their hand off and put a hand on. And yep. <laughs> and luckily enough for us, that character died and the hand ran away. So we don't know where it went. <laughs> I like that the hand just ran away. Yeah. <laughs> just appeared, disappeared into the ether. It was a it was a very thing moment. I feel like it like the body fell and then the hand just like went off the arm and then scurried and poof. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um so if you're looking to play with Vecna within your campaign, um, they did just release a new stat block for Vecna, which you can find on D&D Beyond. Uh, it's called Vecna's Dossier, which does give a simple breakdown of kind of like a little bit of his backstory, um, kind of where you can find him, a couple of his different names. But then again, there is a brand new stat block that you can utilize, which I'll do a little bit here. So he is a CR 26. <laughs> I just heard Casey's yeah. gasp. <laughs> We are starting off hot on this series. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and then it go, kind of goes from there. So he is extremely intelligent with a plus six, with a wisdom of plus seven. Again, he is a very, very strong, um, uh, powerful wizard witch. Wizard witch. Wizard lich. Um, but yeah, again, he's got legendary resistance. Um, he does have special equipment where he does carry um, daggers named Afterthought uh, in his hands. Um, and then he has Undying, which of course is if he is slain, he is rebirthed, similar to any other lich. And then he does have something called Unusual Nature, which means he does not require air, food, drink, or sleep. So he's just alive and well on a regular basis. Yeah, that seems pretty standard with all the liches. Yeah, so... They dead. They dead. They undead. They, dead. they don't need yeah. that shit. 
don't even get me started. So yeah. So for spells, like again, like after I read Acerarax, his spell list is actually a little bit lighter. So he just has things like detect magic, dispel magic. He can fly. He has lightning bolt, mage hand, prestidigitation, but he can also use dimension door, um, dominate monster and globe of invulnerability, as well as plane shift on himself only. Um, but he does have a bonus action where he can use vile teleport where basically uh, Vecna teleports along with any of his equipment he is wearing or carrying up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space that he can see himself. Um, uh, and then he can cause each creature in his within his choice within 15 feet of him um, to uh, take psychic damage. So when, when doing this teleport. Uh, he also has Rotten Fate. So he causes necrotic damage um necrotic magic to engulf one creature he can see with 120 feet of himself so it's a distance my fam it's a dc 22 con save throw or take an average of 96 necrotic damage on a failed save and of course half on a successful one if you are a humanoid though and you are killed by this magic you are raised as you are raised as a zombie so that one's a scary one because i imagine yeah. if you're fighting this thing you're gonna go, you're gonna go down pretty quick i feel like no matter what level you're at uh mm -hmm. and then you're gonna have to fight your zombie friends yeah right mm -hmm. so well and with that range you might not even know what caused it like that could be a way that vecna just fucks with you too it's like because he'll sense you coming in miles away mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he could just you know pew pew that and suddenly one of your friends just drops as you're walking through yeah. and you have no idea. You haven't even gotten there yet. Right. <laughs> and then he does have a couple of really scary reactions. So he has two different reactions you can use. One is called dread counterspell, which basically just means that he utters a word and then he interrupts a creature who he can see is casting a spell. Um, there is a, there is like limitations to how, what level a spell could be, but on a success, the spell has no effect. Um, and then that caster actually takes an average of 10 psychic damage as well. Um, and then he also has fell rebuke, which is basically in response to being attacked, he can utter a word and uh, deal an average of 10 necrotic damage to the attacker. So basically, and then, I, sorry, and then on top of that, he can actually teleport after he does that. So this gentleman is just going to basically say words to you. Mm -hmm. You're going to get necrotic, random necrotic damage. You're not going to know why. And then like, it's just going to go from there, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, that is a another big, beefy, scary man's. Yikes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then within fifth edition, it is also said that he is a part of writing the book of Vile Darkness, which is another item that you can find within the book, uh, sorry, within the DMG guide. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's just another book of evil. Uh, One of my characters has that book. Are you serious? Yeah. That's pretty dope. She found it in hell and stole it. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, She's a warlock. She gave it to her patron. <laughs> i love that i love that about her uh -huh. um but yeah at the end of the day i feel like um these are definitely your big bad evil guys for the ending of your campaign or like as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode these are the ones you're going to introduce early at to warn your group or give them a quest or give them a reason or give them a rhyme or they're just going to exist in the background doing dark shit in the background you know what mm -hmm. i mean unless you're doing the tomb of annihilation like actual like um campaign um it's just going to be happening in the background in my yeah. mind so but i also feel like a really good plot hook of course for your characters if you have someone who is a necromancer or knows of these evils they're probably going to be seeking out the high the eye or the hand of vecna for the powers that they do and bestow because putting it in your eye and using the hand of vecna does give you strength and capabilities right mm -hmm. so yeah that would be that mm-hmm mm -hmm. all right <laughs> 
<laughs> take a hot second. Um, I feel like you could do a whole, ep- we could have done a whole episode on just Vecna and just a Sarah to be honest with you. Yeah. There is yeah. a lot to them. Um, that's just like the brass tacks base notes on how big and how scary they can be. Uh, mm-hmm. but as I said, like it's DM discretion of how you will use them and what kind of history you, you want to use, because I, I like that they did make the, the, the creation of the cast sword and his general cast is now canon technically in fifth edition with the new dossier, which is really cool. Um, thank you, stranger things. Um, <laughs> But uh, again, people will argue what is real and what isn't real just because of, again, what edition you play and what version of Vecna you played with. I feel like Vecna is the Final Fantasy argument for D&D players, Mm -hmm. which version of Vecna you get, right? But that's just me. Um, But yeah, let's roll dice. I've got like one or two questions about it just to see how you guys would utilize them in your campaigns. Six. Twelve. Fifteen. Fifteen. All right, Casey. Boy. (laughs) <laughs> I hate going first. <laughs> it's okay. I'm gonna ask simple ones for this one. What's the most horrifying detail that you would want to lean into with these guys? Ooh, um, I okay. So with both of these, even more so a Sarah I feel like you could drop a lot of haunting like aftermath that your party just comes across based on just the nature of how he is. Like you talked about no no revenge or vengeance really it's just he is just seeking power and souls and endless like existence so you might come across uh villages that have just been like pillaged essentially by him and his warriors and all of their souls are gone and you have to figure out what the hell happened so I think you could really just lean into that piece for a Sarah on just he just the wrath of soul sucking just moves through and you might never actually encounter him. But the effects of his existence in the world that you're in is palatable. Yeah, they're very hyper focused, right? Like they again, they don't care about the small potatoes. They're going to go for like the big things over long periods of time. So I yeah. loved the idea of the fact that a Sarah and like Vecna as well, or any other lich doesn't give a shit if you actually kill them, mm-hmm. because they're going to come back, but they're not going to give a shit and revenge on you. They will wait until your firstborn is born and come for your firstborn. Yeah, mm-hmm. they would. They want. They would want to cause you pain, but they know that time is their friend, and time yeah. is your enemy, right? Yeah, um, and you might even come across um, other like creatures or monsters that you can interact with that have killed a Sarah and they like their life quest is to try and get him to never come back, but it's futile. And so you can get hints on how to combat and how to defeat him. But even then, it still might not matter. Very true. So yeah. What about you, Pefs? With both of them, I think you're not gonna know that you're dealing with them for a long time. Like we did not know. I mean, as players, like, yeah, we're going for some like unblinking eye. We had an idea as players. That's probably Vecta. Yeah. (laughs) Like we know, you know, but our characters, like we were sent this whole thing. We were like dimension jumping, kept going through portals and we're trying to get back to our home. And we were told that if we collected this unblinking eye, that this person could get us back home. That's how we ended up finding it. So that's how it ended up 
we then ended up in Barovia, where Strahd was with Vecna and our guy, and like, give me the eye and I'll send you home. Yeah. But it was a year before we knew that Vecna was behind it. So mm-hmm. I would definitely go into that sort of like, you're not going to know for a very long time. Yeah, you're just are... a small part of their long story. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like you're going to have no clue. And then one day, like, fuck, what have I done? You yeah, know, <laughs> like exactly. you played right into it. Oh, yeah. I love it. So, on a scale of one to 10 severed hands, how would you rank liches and demi liches as part of the undead landscape in D&D 5th edition? Megan, I'm going to get you to go first. Sure, man. So, I mean, like, one to ten severed hands. I guess ten is would be, like, the most severe severed hand. And then, like, one being, like, <laughs> small potatoes. Um, I think for liches, you know, as in general, I would give them a solid seven, you know? Like, th- like they're, they're pretty frightening. Demi-liches, I'd give them... I would give them, like, weirdly enough, I would give them, like, a five. Not because I'm not afraid of them, but because, like, I feel like I will never come across one. And if I do, they'll probably not want to have anything to do with me and they don't care. Didn't, didn't you already come across one? Yes. But they, they <laughs> want nothing to do with me and I don't really care. <laughs> they brought me back to life and disappeared. So we'll find out later on if that was a problem or not. Um, well, we'll check back in a year and see if that five still stands. Yeah, right. Uh, the and Liches, I would give them, just because they're so cool, I'd give them like a six. I, I'm not as afraid of them as I am like a, a classic lich, but I am afraid of them, you know? Um, the lichen liches or lichen liches. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I may have been saying that wrong the whole time. <laughs> I, I want to say lichen because I'm thinking like lycanthrope, but it's uh-huh. also not spelt like a lycanthrope. But yeah. anyways, um, I would keep them as a seven. I would keep them up with regular liches. I think they're equally as frightening based, based on what we talked about. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think they're equally as frightening. Um, then a Sarak is my nine and then my Vecna is my 10. <laughs> that's how I would rate them. That's how you would rate them. Yes. That's fair. Yeah. That's, I think that's a pretty good scale. Um, yeah, I, I definitely like the Dev and Karen are definitely lower for me on, on the, the severed hand scale. Um, they do have that cool, like hard to die thing, but, um, I think the Lich and Liches are, are probably my favorite. I would give them like eight yeah. <laughs> severed hands. Because <laughs> I also just have a deep love for druids. So yeah. in oh, yeah. my head, um, somewhere in Barovia, my uh, Pepperina Sparkle Jim OG character who married Strahd is probably searching out to be a Lich and Lich because she was a druid. So like i like to think after after she became the vampire queen she moved on to bigger and better things Ooh, <laughs> i like it a lot adorable what about you casey would you change any of those i think you we're all on pretty much the same page i might actually swap um liches and demi liches though yeah. i think demi liches are a little higher on my scale yeah and I think you would come across them I think yeah I think it's because I would imagine coming across them more and actually maybe fighting them more likely than a than a lich I think a Mm -hmm. lich is yeah incredibly threatening and scary but you may not ever combat or encounter it directly yeah Yeah. I think a lich you have to seek out I think a demi lich you just sort of happen upon sometimes Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, now I can use you. Whereas I feel like in my mind, though, like a lich is like hunting and they're like, oh, I yeah. can use you. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like a demi lich is like, oh, there you go. Oh. Yeah. Surprise <laughs> lich. <laughs> lich. 
but I do like the kids are, and I will say this right now, there is a very large argument going on on the internet right now about the new um, Vecna dossier and whether or not the new Vecna that has been printed with the um, stat block is strong enough for Vecna for, based on yeah. his history and who he is and whether or not he is strong. And um, so, yeah, I, I'd be interested to hear what like some of our, our folks on the internet will say. So absolutely go onto our uh, Reddit page and like come at us in the comments and just see if you agree or disagree or give us your thoughts on new and old Vecna or what your favorite Vecna or Sarah is. So... <laughs> But now it's time to close the crypt on this part of our conversation on Undead in the D&D 5th edition. Stay tuned next month when we rise up to haunt you again with even more terrors from beyond the grave, zombies. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com. And if you'd like to discuss what you've heard here today, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at r slash It's a Mimic. For other episodes on other kinds of monsters, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Adam asked me the other day, Casey, if we wanted to make this one as like drunk and ratchet as our Giants episodes. And I'm like, the Giants episodes are special. We can't have that anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know Brent asked me that too. He's like, oh, so you're having like wine at 9am. I was like, Mm. it was it was Giants and wine. We're going to to go slightly on another angle with undead. (laughs) Yeah, it's just regular undead. I'm like, don't get me wrong. There will be episodes where we are drinking heavily. (laughs) I'm sure. Depends on the time of day. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. All right. Got to get us started here. We could switch to just like hard liquor though. Also. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I've got some bourbon. Like we can. I've got nowhere to be today. The peanut butter whiskey. Let's get this done. That stuff is so like I I love and hate it. It's so sweet. Like it's so sweet. Well, I do have a cupcake tattooed on my leg, so like sweet is sort of my thing. You know what, Peps? You're sweet enough. You're just you as a person are sweet Aww. enough. I am gonna uh, put out a slight warning. I say phylacteries like twenty times, and I realized I say it in the most Midwest way, and add like five A's, and it comes out phylactery. Phylactery. <laughs> phylactery. Yes! Okay, it's better than saying it like. Wait, so we're just it's better than a phylactery. Phylactery. Oh gosh. It's yeah. like as a DM, it's like that lucky stop <laughs> i love it that's going in post credits yeah absolutely <laughs> okay i feel like so my cat is now famous loki's gonna be famous it's gonna be great it's gonna be great times. yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah so that's what i would do i would just leave it to pure chance with one tiny thing that could ha- it could happen or not happen awesome um 
Um, but yeah, other than that, um, that's pretty much a lot of the big scary stuff other than, sorry, I'm trying to zoom in one of my notes here. Let's see, get out of here. Burp, burp, there we go. It is always the trick trying to read your own notes. I know, hey. <laughs> what was I thinking yesterday? <laughs> burp, burp, there we go.